topic of our demo today is uh, the five controlling faculties, the Pancha Indriyani in the Pali, the scriptural language. Now, these certain five controlling faculties are helpful to lead our practice to maturity. And the controlling faculties are known as such because they exercise control in their respective domains. And certainly they help, they master their opposites. In other words, they help to keep them under control. Now, in connection with these five controlling faculties, there is mention of the domains, of five domains. Each controlling faculty exercises its control in a very particular domain. Now, the first domain is certainly that of resolution, adimokha, in the Pani scriptural language. And certainly this first domain goes all the way from faith or covers an entire range, namely from faith to disbelief. The Pali term for faith is Satna Sadda, and Satna then the Pali technical term for disbelief is Asadiya. And so it is in this particular domain that faith exercises certain control and certainly then masters the opposite which comes in the form of disbelief or indecision. The second domain is certainly that of exertion in the Pali in the scripture language known as Pagaha. And again, this certain sphere or domain then covers the entire range from effort all the way up to laziness. So it is certainly the controlling factor of effort that exercises control in this domain of of exertion and it masters its opposite which comes in the form of laziness, gosaja in the Pali scriptural language. Now, the third sphere or domain is that of awareness, upatana, again in the Pali scriptural language. And this particular domain then covers the area that is marked by mindfulness on the one end and then forgetfulness or inattention, negligence on the other end. 
So mindfulness we know in Pani is known as sati and its opposite forgetfulness or inattention is satna then given as mutta sati. Now the fourth controlling faculty operates in the sphere or domain of non-distraction awikipa in the Pali scriptural language. And it certainly goes all the way from concentration to distraction. And certainly distraction known in the Pali scriptural language as wikipa, so the opposite to uh, awikipa. Now, and it is certainly this concentration that certainly then exercises control in its certain domain of non-distraction. And it is certainly, again, concentration that helps us to keep the distraction under control. Now, the last sphere or domain is that of discernment, dasana in the Pali scriptural language. And this satna domain then covers at the one end intuitive wisdom, panya, and satna then at the other end it satna covers delusion or ignorance, absence of knowledge. Now, here, this certain delusion is referred to as Sammoha, which is actually an intense form of delusion. Now, in the course of our mindfulness meditation practice, we are likely not to experience faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom all the time. But uh, to be realistic, it's quite likely that at times we will have doubting thoughts arising. It is also quite likely that we might on occasion come across some laziness in the morning. We don't want to, we wake up, we don't want to get out of bed as yet. Let's postpone this until 6.25. And then um, we might also, after lunch, decide to take a nap and then extend this nap to maybe a full hour or even two hours. And then there will surely be moments, if not longer stretches, of absent-mindedness, of negligence, of forgetfulness. So uh, we're not going to be perfect, Satna, all the time. 
And it's also like that you know, certain you know, we you know, might certainly get certain you know, this or be you know, distracted uh, owing to certain you know, conditions or you know, circumstances. And so, since you know, our meditation practice is still a work in progress, we are likely to not see true reality. In other words, certainly be confused to some extent, be deluded to some extent. Now, the Controlling faculties, when they come into play, may help us tremendously to overcome their respective opposites. Now, for a better understanding of those controlling faculties, we can turn to the Indriya Samyutta of the Samyutta Nikaya, which is a collection of discourses that deals in particular with those five controlling faculties. And in that collection, we find all sorts of other characteristics, points that are helpful for a better understanding. So, one is that a stream enter, a so called Sotapana. So it's a noble you know, person, is a person who, you know, or is a person who is defined as one who has understood you know, the faculties, who's gained knowledge about them. And in the case of an Arahan, so a holy one, in, in such a case, you know, he or she will have acquired the knowledge, what certain of the faculties are all about, as well as have developed them you know, to a point where the mind uh, has been freed from clinging. So, you know, an arahant indeed has no more you know, clinging. The intoxicants are all you know, removed, eradicated. Now, what do you think? These controlling faculties are equally developed and present in all of us. Let's say, right now, the controlling faculties that, for instance, are present in you, are they equal to maybe the controlling faculties in another retreat? You think so or not? Not. Not necessarily. And certainly so in some, you know, these controlling faculties are relatively highly you know, developed, and in others they're not that developed and as a result you know, somewhat weaker. Now a number of you know, the discourses from this Indriya Samyutta, Samyutta explain or mention that the relative strength of you know, these faculties determines the gradation among different classes of noble ones. So, obviously, you know, those you know, noble ones 
stream enters don't have the same level of understanding and the same level of uh, um, development. Diff their development is different from you know, someone who's become a, a once returner, and then again different from someone who has become a non-returner, who has become and is a non-returner, and someone who you know, has become an arahant. So, in an arahant, these five controlling faculties are perfectly you know, developed. Now, based on what has been said so far, as well as uh, on uh, discourse number 48 of that same uh, collection, it can be clearly uh, stated that uh, the um, occurrence of and the development of uh, the uh, five controlling faculties um, yields may yield great benefits. Namely, they can lead us all the way to the realization of Arahata Magga and Pana Arahanship. So the potential at least is there. Whether we make use of this potential or not, that is entirely uh, with us. Now, Discourse number 50 of that same collection in the Samyutta Nikaya then describes a short exchange between the Buddha and Elder Sariputta. And it is the Buddha who asks Elder Sariputta a question, namely whether a stream enter has has full or still has perplexity. So, in other words, doubts about the Tathagata, which is a word for the Buddha, and his certain teachings. And to this question, then Sariputta gives an eloquent answer. And he says, such a stream enter will have no perplexity with regard to the qualities of the Buddha and his teachings. So doubt will not be there. In other words, in the absence of Fatna doubt, well, faith is Satna present. So, full faith. Now, this presence of Fatna faith then is likely to trigger a certain development, namely that there will be a desire to practice and suddenly then one will exert effort. So effort will be aroused. And Elder Sariputta explains further that this effort is towards the abandonment of what? Unwholesome states, yes, indeed, and um, 
And in addition to this, the effort aroused is for the development of wholesome mental states. So abandonment of the unwholesome ones and the development of the wholesome ones. Now, in the presence of uh, faith in you know, the, ta- you know, the the qualities of you know, the Tathagata and his teachings, energy is aroused, effort is aroused, and certainly to abandon and certainly to develop, and certainly this then in turn leads to mindfulness. In other, with this then, mindfulness gets established. Mindfulness on the four categories of objects. Now, in the presence of those five, those three factors, then with the presence of, or with mindfulness established, the mind will be the mind will be um, falling squarely onto the object, it will be fixed, it will be glued to the respective predominant object, and thus the mind becomes more and more unified. In other words, uh, one-pointedness, concentration is present. And so, in the presence of faith, with energy aroused, with mindfulness well established, the mindset is concentrated, the controlling faculty of uh, concentration is there, and then based on these certain four, intuitive knowledge arises, which we then refer to as uh, um, the controlling faculty of wisdom, Panya Indriya, in the Pali scriptural language. And the knowledge of uh, that this samsara is beginningless, and then the knowledge of abandonment of mental defilements, and the knowledge of that basically implies the realization of the Dhamma. Now, a number of you know, those certain you know, shorter you know, discourses on the controlling faculties further you know, state that the wisdom faculty is chief among states conducive to enlightenment. And this is indeed uh, um, uh, a very you know, true you know, statement. And certainly this wisdom is said to stabilize the other faculties. Now, you may have heard of a set of factors known as the five powers, panchabala, in the Pali scriptural language. The same set of factors. And certainly then the question arises, what's the difference between them? Well, in the case of Futna, the faculties, they then, as Satna said, they exercise certain control. And Satna, for the powers, it's a bit Satna different. And so the emphasis is just Satna different. So they are like two streams of a river flowing around a midstream island.
Yes. Is is the uh, this is in, what you've spelled out here is in the largest sense uh, the way the five controlling faculties develop. Isn't every um, effort to um, to observe a object, mental or physical, in in our practice, in our vipassana practice? Um, an effort across those five domains? Yes, you can, well, it is an effort. However, whether it qualifies as a controlling faculty or not remains to be seen. And it will depend on the strength of the effort. So it could well be that maybe laziness is there. One does certainly exert some effort. However, the effort is not strong enough and it cannot dispel the laziness. And the same thing goes for the other opposites. So with many of these sets of mental factors, they, there's differences. They are the same in essence, but differ in terms of strength. So we have this ordinary, as you were saying, ordinary effort. And then there is effort, for instance, as an uh, strong determined effort, as an imperfection of insight. And then further down the path, well, these controlling faculties are there. And then, and then we speak of the controlling faculty of effort. And if I'm not mistaken, there is one passage somewhere that speaks of the controlling faculties only in connection with or in terms of supramundane qualities. Not rather than mundane uh, qualities. However, the way they get explained for the most part is applying to both the mundane sphere as well as the uh, supramundane uh, sphere. Now, in terms of the controlling faculty of faith, there's two supporting factors here. One is joy, and certainly the other one is certain pleasure. And when joy is certainly present, in other words, then one takes interest in what is happening, and certainly that then leads on to the arising of faith. Now, some of these, or most of these controlling faculties we have not dealt with as yet, except for mindfulness and for intuitive wisdom. So in the case of faith, 
each characteristic is either as placing faith or as certain trusting. And its function is either to clarify the stream of consciousness or to set forth, as one might certainly set forth, to cross a flood. So that indecisiveness goes, one makes up one's mind certainly with regard to the practice and certainly then moves ahead, no matter what might certainly come up next. Now, this faith, sadda, then is manifested as number one, non-fogginess. And to express this in a different way, the absence of certain fogginess, clarity is certainly there. So clarity of mind. And in our meditation practice, we can find just this. Namely, when when faith is there, we will find that the mind is clear. On the other hand, when clarity is discernible, then we can follow from this, or we will find that faith also will be there. Now, the second manifestation is as certain resolution, certain decision to go ahead. And certainly its proximate cause is either something to place faith in, like the Buddha's certain teachings, or the hearing of the Dhamma, the good certain Dhamma. Now, the faith that the Buddha is speaking of is not a blind faith, but rather a faith that does allow for investigation. And so it does allow to have doubts about dubitable things. Now, this certain mental factor of faith is clearly a wholesome mental state, and it comes again in different degrees of strength. At first, it tends to be quite shaky. Every time a retreatant gains a new insight knowledge, he or she will find an increase or experience an increase of faith. So when the next insight knowledge is gained, again, our faith gets suddenly stronger. So those two, gaining intuitive wisdom, and suddenly then based on this faith, further faith arises, these two are closely coupled. Now, Upon the attainment of the path of stream entry, it is said that our faith becomes what? Falls all apart or becomes unshakable? It becomes unshakable. Yes, indeed. So even if the most talented 
orator comes along and certain tells us about some other you know, so special let's say you know, religious certain system yet certain we will not be swayed by this certain talk so other expressions that are being used for faith are that of confidence as well as certain trust or conviction. So this faith arises out of one's practice. One really, when one comes to a certain decision, this is certain it. And certainly, then uh, faith is certainly there. Now, in terms of certainly the mental factor of effort, and certainly thus uh, also applicable to the controlling faculty of certainly effort, we have certainly the following uh, description uh, from uh, the Dhammatna Sangani. Namely, this faculty of energy gets certainly described, as we've said already, you know, the abandoning of unwholesome states, as well as the acquisition, the gaining of wholesome states. And one who possesses certainly this you know, f- controlling faculty of effort and is strong, tamawa, in the Pali scriptural language, it's firm in exertion, dalhaparakama in Pali, and is not shirking the responsibility of cultivating wholesome states. So sometimes when you're doing intensive practice and dealing with the same, let's say, chronic pain over and over again, sitting after it, sitting, one feels like throwing in the towel and suddenly then you know, you know, retreating to one's room and taking a longish break. And it's at that point that one is kind of avoiding one's responsibility. And certainly so good certainly effort is an effort that doesn't give in easily and one keeps performing one's task as best as certainly possible. Despite of whether one is certainly successful or not is another thing. Now, the classical you know, fourfold certain definition for you know, energy is as having the characteristic of supporting or exertion or marshalling. The Venerable Sadhu Pandita, Nabiwams of Burma, says forbearance in the face of difficulty, forbearance, endurance. And its function is to support the associated mental states. So in the face of some strong pain, the mind will gradually wither. Certain mostly wholesome mental states like mindfulness, calmness and so on lose their strength and then the mind collapses. And it's at this point 
you know, by inserting effort, you know, that the mind suddenly gets propped up, and suddenly you know, thus you know, the uh, associated mental states like you know, the mindfulness, calmness, and so on, you know, they you know, then can continue. Now, its manifestation is as non-collapse, and certainly its proximate cause is either a sense of urgency or a ground for the arousing of energy. So anything that steers one to vigorous action. Now, in the context of these five controlling faculties, the controlling faculty of effort has been identified and defined as consisting of the four supreme efforts. Namely, the effort Effort to avoid the, the effort to avoid unwholesome mental states that have so far not arisen to arise. That is your samwara padana in the Pali the scriptural language. Then, as number two, we have the effort to overcome pahana padana in the Pali scriptural language, which means it's the effort that is needed in overcoming unwholesome states that have already arisen in the stream of consciousness. Now, then we have the effort to uh, arouse unarisen wholesome states and finally we have the effort to maintain those arisen wholesome mental states. So when it comes to you know, the um, first and second supreme effort to avoid and to overcome well unwholesome states such as greed, hatred, delusion, restlessness, skeptical doubt, and so on and so forth. Now, in the case of arousing unreasonable wholesome states, by wholesome states, or under this certain term, can be understood wholesome states such as generosity, and then to arouse the states of virtue, the sila of meditation, mental development, bhavana, loving kindness, metta, and compassion. And in terms of maintaining wholesome states, well, it's just ensuring that those wholesome states that have arisen already, that they continue to last. 
So the you know, third satna effort is known as Bhavana Padana, the last one as Anurakana Padana in the Pali you know, scriptural language. Now, Mindfulness we have discussed already during the outsets of the retreat quite extensively. Even so, there's no need to go into this again. Now, in the case of concentration, the mental factor of concentration has been referred to as stability of mind, as steadfastness of mind, or as non-destruction. It's known also as one-pointedness of mind, or simply as calm. And now, when we speak of certain concentration, then this has been defined by the Buddha as one pointedness of or as one pointedness of mind, and so this then covers various levels of concentration. Concentration that is rather weak, initial concentration, all the way to levels of concentration that are really high and that together with other factors can bring about an eradication of mental defilements. Now, when we speak of right concentration, samasamadhi, then this is concentration that is associated with wholesome consciousness and not unwholesome consciousness. Now, concentration is one of those universal mental states, and so it can arise both in wholesome consciousness as well as unwholesome consciousness. Now, yet another definition of concentration can be found in the third volume of the Majjhima Nikaya, section 71, and there it says right concentration is concentration that is associated with or equipped with right view, right intention, right speech, right uh, livelihood, right action, right livelihood, right effort, and right uh, mindfulness. Otherwise, it doesn't qualify as right concentration. Now, just for a further clarification, concentration might be needed, or it will be needed in our meditation practice, which is then for the most part associated with wholesome consciousness, but it might also be needed in 
for instance, going to some five-star restaurant as a gourmet and a gourmet journalist who then has to write a review about that restaurant. And so while that gourmet is relishing a certain, a certain dish or courses of footnote, course of footnote dishes, then he or she needs to be totally concentrated. But this one is associated with wholesome consciousness. Pardon me? Yeah, with gluttony. There you go. And so, obviously, with unwholesome consciousness. Now, uh, a soldier in battle, what do you think? Uh, has much time to be distracted, look around and see what the birds are doing? In battle, obviously not. And a soldier, an active fitness soldier in battle, will have to be extremely concentrated and certainly the the motivation the you know, the task will be you know, to you know smash you know, the enemy forces and certainly this thing is associated with wholesome consciousness or unwholesome consciousness obviously unwholesome consciousness so concentration is needed here or there so it's not just an entirely wholesome uh, mental state it depends on you know, the context it depends on the context in which it certainly uh, arises now um, the characteristic of footnote concentration is certainly that of non-wandering or non-distraction of the mind. Its function is to unify, to unite or conglomerate the associated mental states. So they are all then working on one and the same object. And a neat way of clarifying this or illustrating this is what is happening when one has laser light. So, in order to make laser light really powerful, one then directs the various rays of it all into one direction. One bundles the various rays and thus it becomes powerful laser light. But if you take the light emitted from a candescent light bulb, this will be very, very focused or not. It goes all over the place. And thus it's not really united, it's not focused on one, focused in one particular direction. So what we need is a laser, bundled laser-like concentration. Now, it is manifested as a sense of in peace and its proximate causes are either happiness or wise attention, continuous wise attention directed towards the arising of concentration. So if one tries again and again to bring about concentration, then gradually it will arise. Now, 
We've already spoken about certain wisdom during an earlier Dhamma talk and its classical definitions. I'm not going to repeat this. Now, the texts do mention or speak of the importance of the balance of those controlling faculties. So it's good to have you know, those controlling faculties arising in one stream of consciousness, but it's even better if they are of equal strength and well balanced. Now, this balance of the mental controlling faculties is known in the Pali scriptural language as Indriya Samatha. So certainly there's a term for this. Now, the disadvantage, the problem with a disequilibrium of those controlling faculties is when one faculty is, let's say, well-developed and the others are not that developed. And so the one that is well-developed will disturb the others to perform their uh, functions. So, for instance, if the faculty of faith is certainly stronger than the others, the faculty of energy will cannot perform its function of exertion, the faculty of mindfulness its function of establishing mindfulness on the respective object, and uh, you know, the faculty of concentration cannot perform its function of uh, not distracting, and finally, the faculty of wisdom cannot perform its function of understanding. So, when those controlling faculties are not well balanced, then it's unlikely that suddenly we will gain the Dhamma. However, once certainly the controlling faculties are well balanced, of equal strength and good strength, then in no time the Dhamma can be gained. And the Venerable Sadhu Panita has on occasion referred to this by saying that when those controlling faculties are well developed, very soon the Dhamma can be realized. Now, the equilibrium or disequilibrium is with regard to two pairs of controlling faculties. The first pair consists of effort and concentration, virya and samadhi, and the second pair consists of faith and intuitive wisdom. And it is mindfulness that is um, ensuring the balance of both of these pairs of controlling faculties. Now, among two yogis, who is closer to 
the realization of Nibbana, namely, a yogi who is full of disbelief, laziness, forgetfulness, distraction and delusion, or, on the other hand, a yogi who is endowed with faith, effort, mindfulness, good concentration and wisdom. Obviously, you will choose the first. <laughs> Not. So, you will surely choose Sapna the second Satna yogi. Now, how do we experience an imbalance of Fatna one of Fatna the Satna of imbalance of controlling faculties? If we take, for instance, the case of faith, if faith is in excess, then the symptoms of this will be that one is gullible and uh, there will be blind credulity. Now, what to do in this case? One simply needs to be more realistic and not believe everything blindly. On the other hand, when so-called you know, wisdom is in excess, then the symptom of this, and then it's not true wisdom, then the symptom symptoms of fatna, this will be a certain cunningness or intellectual cleverness. Now, what do we do in a, in a case like this? We stop intellectualizing. Sometimes you have yogis who've heard and read a lot about vipassana practice, and then they sit in meditation and spend their time, rather than observing the rise and fall and other predominant objects, they spend their time thinking. Thinking what might happen next. And by way of thinking, they try to then progress in the practice. And during interviews, they come up with intellectual answers. And it's obvious. So to stop that, that will just not work. It might work to a little extent, but certainly not in the long run. Now, it may happen in your practice that certain times of things are going so well that certain you step on the gas and certain you apply excessive effort. This will then manifest as certain, or this we experience then as restlessness. You are putting in so much effort that both the body and the mind cannot take it anymore and both of them get pretty restless. And so in a situation like this, you want to relax. Step back a bit and certainly maybe try not that, not quite as hard. Now, when concentration is in excess, we find that this leads to sleepiness, to a sluggish immobility of the mind. And at such a point, one might certainly want to open up the senses. Now, let's certainly look at the deficiencies. 
when there's a deficiency or lack of faith, then we experience this as sudden lots of doubts arising. Could be doubts related to the practice, could be doubts about certain oneself, about the teachings, the teacher, and so on. And certainly in this kind of a situation, or this situation, we remedy by arousing faith. So this could be done by a teacher who's giving some appropriate talk or some uh, appropriate encouragement during the the interviews, or uh, maybe if one reads Satna Dhammapada verse as a form of gaining some encouragement. Now, when wisdom is Satna deficient, we clearly experience this as an, a not knowing and as ignorance, so not knowing true reality, and Satna obviously we then need to observe more carefully with a well-concentrated mind and with this then genuine wisdom can arise. When effort is suddenly deficient, then it easily leads suddenly to the arising of laziness. And the cure for this is obvious, you boost your effort. And in the last case of concentration, well, it certainly will, if there's a uh, deficiency of concentration, we end up uh, being rather distracted. And uh, the best way you know, to deal you know, with this certain situation is you know, to restrain one's senses, to stay with one object for a longer period of time, and uh, you know, also to work you know, with a pain. Since all of these certain measures help you know, to you know, develop concentration. Now, there are at least two cases you know, from you know, the text where you know, there was a disequilibrium of you know, the controlling faculties, and both of you know, these monastics you know, couldn't you know, gain the Dhamma. Uh, one of you know, them had excessive energy and certainly the other one excessive faith and certainly so in the case of Sona, Sona Kodivisa who happened to be a player of a certain type of lute, a string instrument before joining the Sangha so the Buddha then told him listen when you were still such a Veena player when you're the the chords were not properly tied then or not properly tied then your instrument wouldn't or when it was either overstrung or too, too, too lax, then your instrument wouldn't produce the proper sound. And that Sona Kolivisa immediately understood and then did make the necessary adjustments and did gain the Dhamma. Now, briefly, and this then will lead us to near the end briefly the Patisambida Magga in its fourth 
a treatise, section three, and it speaks of fifteen ways of purifying the five controlling faculties, namely, for one thing, in terms of fitna faith. One purifies it by avoiding faithless persons, by further cultivating, frequenting, and honoring faithful persons, and then by reviewing discourses that inspire faith or confidence. And then the same principle, the same structure, is applied to any of the remaining controlling faculties. So in each case, one purifies it by avoiding, let's say, a lazy person, by cultivating, frequenting, and honoring an energetic person, and certainly by reviewing discourses that inspired effort. So... But those would be ways to strengthen one's controlling faculties. Now, that same fourth treatise of the Patisambhita Magga proposes yet another, another two aspects with regard to each and every one of them, namely, in the case of faith, to abandon non-faith, its opposite, and to develop faith. So to abandon laziness and absence of effort and to develop effort and so on and so forth. Now, allow me to conclude by wishing may the um, the mental factors of faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and intuitive wisdom, may they turn into those factors as mentioned among the imperfections, namely strong, determined effort. May they further strengthen and turn into controlling faculties with which we really exercise control over the control in the respective domains. And certainly may they help us to master the opposites and thus lead us closer, bring us closer to closer to the realization of the Dhamma and also to the realization itself. And may this happen during this very retreat here in Paris. Thank you.